Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. We should probably talk about fantasy at some point instead of just making fun of each other all day. I'm going to predict co-defensive players of the year. I don't want to wait until 2020 to see Jackson on the field. Offensive rookie of the year, who you got? We're going to continue to monitor the Ravens roster decisions. Or you can tell me when I'm right. You can tell Vasily when he's wrong. We are going to be your number one draft, guys. We are going to break down the tape. That was like a Bob Costas special monologue commentary type thing. Yeah. So I just got to, yeah. Sheesh. Welcome into another edition of Take It to the Bank. I do want to apologize. Both of us, me and my co-host Vasily Larico, as we were kind of caught up this weekend, we had a couple family matters we had to deal with, so we were unable to get a timely episode right when the Ravens broke their 53-man roster. But we're back here Monday on Labor Day. We're working during the holiday, and we've got a ton to talk about. As I teased on Thursday... We have a very, very big announcement that both of us are jumping out of our, our seats about, and we're excited to announce it, and that's going to come in just a little bit, just a, a couple a couple of minutes we will announce it, I promise. Uh, we are going to break down the 53-man roster. We're going to talk about RG3. We're going to trust me. You know how both of us felt about that. We're definitely going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some of the notable guys that the Ravens cut that are going elsewhere. We're going to talk a little bit about their matchup with the Buffalo Bills, and we're going to give a lot of predictions, a lot of our predictions that you can hold us accountable for throughout the entire year you can tell us that we're right or you can tell me when i'm right you can tell vasily when he's wrong that's all that's all good there uh how you doing today man i'm hanging in there logan can't wait to uh, to get the regular season kicked off here in just a few days it's almost here Uh, the the grind the dog days of summer are, are actually over now it's september it's it's time for football to bless us every Sunday and Monday and sometimes even Thursdays you know what I mean so we're excited now I want to start with the 53 man roster I did an interview with Pressbox online for their like fans fantasy show or whatever with Ken Zalas and he asked me if there were any surprises on this roster and my answer as you know was no there I wasn't too surprised I, w- I was disappointed because I didn't think that they should have kept RG3 but they did I don't think there was very many surprises on the roster do you uh, no, I mean, you know, they had a, quite a run of injuries there towards the end with Elliott and Sanat and uh, Stanley Jean-Baptiste. They all were placed on injury reserve, and that opened up a few spots for some bottom-end guys. But, uh, yeah, I mean, probably 50 of the 53 were, were very predictable. I think, like, the biggest surprise, if you really want to go down that, that, that rabbit hole, is that it's going to be Darius Williams. I mean, I he had an inconsistent preseason, but I think that his – path to the roster and the fact that he made it goes to show you number one that Maurice Kennedy might not be as healthy as many are thinking and his injury might might be a little bit more serious than many are expecting because I thought they could roll with five cornerbacks they obviously don't and maybe that that could be 
proof that Kennedy might be out for maybe a couple weeks. Who knows? And then Chris Board, I mean, a little bit of an undersized guy. I mean, like you, you mentioned in our group chat, yeah, he has all these tackles, but where where is he making the tackles? You know what I mean? Is he making these tackles at the line of scrimmage or a couple yards ahead of it, or is he making it down toward deeper down the field? I guess the biggest surprise to me, in addition to, to Darius Williams, was Albert McClellan getting cut. I thought that kind of competition between him and Boer was somewhat even. I thought they just would have given it to the veteran guy, but, but they didn't. I, I agree. Board and Williams, both of them had up and down preseasons. Neither was uh, necessarily a standout. And I think both could eventually be replaced relatively easily by Bam Bradley, the linebacker, and Jalen Hill, the cornerback, who are both on the physically unable to perform list currently. I think when those two are ready, they could easily take those jobs away from the, uh, the two UDFAs. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. Uh, ben Bradley is definitely someone to watch once he comes back off the pup list after week six when he's eligible. But the other thing that I want to note is so the Ravens had 12 draft picks in the 2018 NFL draft. We were talking pretty much at nauseum about are they going to be able to keep all 12? What's going to happen with them? And one way or the, or the other, all 12 are tied to the Ravens for at least this year. I mean, nine of them made the roster and then three of them are on the IR list. Right. As we mentioned, I mean, they – all those injuries in the last two, three weeks uh, allowed them to keep keep everybody. So I guess that's a good thing. I hope that's a good thing. It can only help depth, you know, next training camp at a minimum. Would you say that this is a change in team philosophy or direction because they parted ways with a couple of third-round picks, Bronson Kafusi, Carl Davis, and they also parted ways with, with Kamala Cray, as we mentioned before, via trade, But and they parted ways, obviously, with Rashad Perryman. Do you think this is a change of philosophy that they're not going to give second chances or third chances or even sometimes fourth chances to some of these failed early round draft picks because they took Siler over Kafusi and Davis? It does seem that way. They have not released very many players at all who did make the team as a first year before the rookie contrast expired. I can only think of a few. John Simon comes to mind. Uh, but Perryman as a first rounder in particular – that, that's uh, We all expected that he wasn't going to make the team, but that is a significant change, it, it appears, in the organization's philosophy. I still think there's a move away from on the offensive line. I thought that the Sanat injury was pretty underrated because he's a great backup swing tackle in terms of development, things like that. And the Ravens obviously had to put him on IR with that turf toe injury. But wh- what are you kind of thinking about this this offensive line group right now? Because to me... I'm not confident with James Hurst. There, there's no way I'm confident with James Hurst to be that backup swing tackle because he's shown time and time again that he cannot play the tackle position. I agree. Uh, I don't have a lot of confidence in Hurst either. Unfortunately, uh, that's probably going to be the way it unfolds if if one of the tackles does go down. And to be to be reasonable, really very few teams in the NFL have a quality third tackle. I think the the ability of Jermaine Illuminor to play tackle, not necessarily at a high level, but at least to man the position, is the reason why he earned that final offensive line spot ahead of Nico Saragusa and Bradley Bozeman as well. He had some positional versatility. He can play both center and guard. Uh, I, when I was floating an idea with uh, our colleague Kyle J. Andrews, what about the idea of putting Marshall Yanda as center? You, you think that's a possibility at all? I don't hate it. I mean, I tweeted out right when the, right when the rosters came out, I, I said that if Matt Skura is the solution at center, then the season's over. Like, you said it in the group chat, and I give you a lot of credit because you took the words from my mouth, is that the Ravens' floor is six, is six wins, and their ceiling is, you said, 11. I think 
You said 10 or 11, and I, I think it's a little bit too high. But either way, that's their, that's their ceiling. And the offensive line is going to help kind of make that gap and kind of decide it. And I think uh, if, if you're going to roll with Matt Skura at center, we've seen this before with Gina Gorkowski. It's just an absolute joke. I mean, the guy can't defend the bull rush. He, he doesn't have fluid hips. He's not very good at the point of attack. He's just not a quality center. So to me, I would, I would put anybody in there instead of him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. I guess the other question on the offensive line, a starter at right tackle has still not been announced. And uh, considering the Ravens' history and their and their preference to to give their veterans opportunities, I wouldn't be shocked if James Hurst is the starting right tackle in Week One against Buffalo over Orlando Brown. I think you're wrong about that. I think it's 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 Orlando Brown's job. I think they they were just giving the rookie the maybe the rookie run around something like that. But Orlando Brown Jr. is going to be the starter. If it were me, and I've been saying this pretty much, you can find it on every single show in some way, shape, or form, the, the starting offensive line from left to right would be Stanley at left tackle. It would be left guard would, would be James Hurst. Center would be Alex Lewis. Right guard would be Yonda. And then right tackle would be Orlando Brown Jr. I mean, I know Hurst is a, is a great, valuable backup, but really... He gives the Ravens the best combination because I think he's better than Skur at guard. And I think that Lewis, even though he's not as experienced at Skur at center, he's a much better center. Um, but then the other idea that people are kind of floating around now is this uh, Chicago release, Hronsis Grasso. But that's who people are throwing around there. I mean, this guy's got 12 career starts, uh, suffered a, an ACL injury in 2016, came back, started four games, but hasn't really panned out in Chicago like they were hoping. And now he's a free agent. People are saying, well, maybe they should they should target him. And at this point, I, I don't think he can be worse than Skura. Uh, we'll have to see. The offensive line remains unsettled. Uh, less than a week away from week one, the opener here. So uh, I'm going to be very curious to see how it all unfolds, not only in week one, but as the season progresses. I think the Ravens and Joe D, the offensive line coach, and Greg Roman, the uh, the tight ends coach and assistant offensive coordinator, uh, um, are going to probably reconsider at some point if Skura is getting bullied in the center there. <sighs> I don't know how long you can wait. Like we kind of did in our schedule preview. I mean, they have a tough schedule from weeks three to nine. That's a pretty much gauntlet. And you got to you gotta get start out fast, especially in the division that you're in. I mean, the Browns probably won't be the same Browns they were in the in years past. The Bengals, I'm not really sure. I think they're kind of wild cards in the division. I, I could see them winning eight to ten games, but then I can also wouldn't be surprised if they win only like four games all year. So the Bengals are kind of wild cards. I think the Steelers are locked to win at least eight to eight to eleven games. We had Brian Davis on. Didn't he say like eleven and five? So Steelers are going to be strong again as well. But the other thing that I want that I want to mention and, and I hate to be the guy where I say, hey, I told you so, but hey, I told you so. Janarian Grant won that returning job, but I think that the Ravens aren't going to have a long leash with him. I think if he makes a couple mistakes or fails to make much of an impact, they got two uh, serviceable, I should say, uh, returners in Cyrus Jones because they reportedly signed him to the practice squad, and they and they were able to bring back your boy Tim White to the practice squad. So that's two guys that really could get promoted pretty much whenever to to, to be a returner. And, and what do you kind of think about that and how they gave it to Grant? I think he I think he won it by default, and I think it was the right decision. I would have kept Tim White, obviously. Um, I think he has equal returnability and better receiving ability, but I am happy to see that he landed on the practice squad. And then Cyrus Jones is an intriguing pickup. Uh, he was released from New England after spending last season 
uh, or an injured reserve with a knee injury. He's a former second-round pick who played high school ball at Gilman locally here in Baltimore and also Alabama. And he's not the best returner, but he does have some experience. He was actually a, a tremendous returner in at Alabama, but it, the, the success did not translate to the NFL. And he's also a decent slot corner, so I could see him being promoted to the active roster some point during the season for sure. Yeah, he he's like a, a really good fit in Baltimore. I mean, obviously a local guy. Didn't really pan out in New England after being a second-round pick. Not quite the start or the start to his NFL career that anyone really thought. I thought he was going to be much better in the NFL. Hasn't really panned out yet, but he's got plenty of potential. Solid returner, like you mentioned. And if there's an injury in that secondary, expect him to come right up and get promoted because he could make an impact as the slot cornerback if Tavon Young struggles or Tavon Young gets injured or someone else, or maybe Maurice Kennedy's injury lasts longer than than expected. Cyrus Jones could get could get promoted. Um, um, offensive line, they kept two offensive linemen on the practice squad thus far. Nico Saragusa and Randy Cresilius. Cresilius kind of had a really, really bad preseason. I was surprised that they kept him, but maybe they saw something in him that I didn't. I just constantly saw him getting beat. I think that his initial step and his point of the attack is a little bit too slow for me. It's, a, it's not always... It's developmental, though. That's the, I guess that's the positive that you can take away. Is I think that he's got the size, and I guess, you, as some people say, the shape to be a good offensive lineman. He's just got to work on being better at the point of attack, kind of lowering his hips a little bit, lowering his pad level, things like that, and kind of being more aggressive with his hands. But those are things that, again, you can obviously work on in the practice squads. Really a great spot for him to land. And then Nico Saragusa, they cut him and then they brought him back. Kind of a, that was like the, another surprise cut for me. I didn't know that they, I didn't think they were going to chance it with him because I think he's got plenty of potential. And some even say that he could, he should be the starting center. I think that them cutting him kind of shows you that he's not. 100% yet and you you kind of scared me last season when you said oh well, he t- when, when he tore his ACL MCL and PCL you really scared me because you said he might not even come back you know what I mean I, and he did come back obviously he played in the preseason but wasn't 100% at all I'm glad Siragusa landed back in the organization give him another another year I guess to to build up that stamina that he needs and to recover you know, he was a good player coming out, and I hope it works out for him. Another intriguing player that was kept with the Ravens on the practice squad is uh, is Darren Waller, the hybrid tight end wide receiver who has all the athletic traits to be a successful NFL player. And I'm glad to see him stay with the Ravens and maybe with some more practice time he could develop into something as he was suspended for the majority of training camp this year. Yeah, Waller could get is another guy on the practice squad that could get promoted sooner rather than later. I mean, he provide he can provide a lot, especially in the passing game that some of the Ravens tight ends really just simply can't do. I mean, he's got such rare size and speed and ability. It's just for him, it's just about staying on the field and staying out of trouble, and that's kind of been his mo recently. So he's just got to work on doing those things. I mean, if he can stay healthy and stay on the straight and narrow, he could certainly be a guy that can make much of an impact for sure. But the other thing, and this is kind of my theory, and I think it's pretty interesting to like dig into is I think the preseason really is, is it's obviously overreaction season as we always mentioned but it's interesting to see how how and when guys perform in the preseason in terms of how it affects kind of the perception of them right so Kamala Correa had an insane game in the Hall of Fame game week zero if you will right he had the three sacks forced fumble interception everyone was like oh man he's gonna make the roster and then he puts together a couple of kind of quiet games doesn't really make much of an impact he gets traded and it's like oh yeah he deserves it 
Now, flash forward, Brontek Fusi had kind of the opposite. Was very quiet for the first... I mean, he had a solid Hall of Fame game, but then was quiet for the rest. And then the last game of the preseason against the Redskins, he had a phenomenal game. He kind of had a great showing, and everyone's like, well, why did they cut him? He should have kept there. And the thing that I want to mention about Kafusi in particular is most of his production came from that edge position. So when, you, when most of your production comes from an edge position and you're not one of those five outside linebackers that may, that were locks to make the team, you're not going to make the team. I mean, that was a pretty standard... I don't know why I had him on my... 53-man roster prediction. I got caught up in the noise, but he shouldn't have made it, and, and, and rightfully so, because he didn't make much of an impact on the line, and they don't need another edge rusher. They already have five capable guys. Right. That was always the, the thing with Kafusi. Not only were the Ravens extremely deep at five technique and outside linebacker, but he's an older player who just does not have very much upside left. I never thought he was going to make it, and that proved true. Um, but two other... F- Two other uh, young, younger players who were retained on the practice squad were your boy DeLance Turner and the other running back, Gus Edwards. We said we thought the Ravens were probably going to keep two running backs on the practice squad considering Kenny Dixon's uh, history, injury history, and suspension history. I personally would have preferred for the Ravens to keep Thompson over Edwards because Thompson has a little bit more of a unique skill set as the as a passing down back who can block and catch the ball but i do think those two retaining turner and edwards does give the ravens some good depth there well that's the other thing is turner really didn't have a good preseason until the last two weeks of the preseason and then now everyone's like oh well, he's got he's got to stay on the team oh logan you were so right about him and obviously i'll take the credit I'll, I'll, you can tell me all, all along i knew i knew about Zelance turner but that's the thing is like turner really didn't show much in the first Two games, it's first three games. Then week three and week four, he had the he had a nice run, and then he had the um, and then he had another solid performance in week four. So like the Lance Turner kind of shows that theory that I have to to correct. It's all about what you've done for me lately. And like the first couple of preseason games, what did he do? And then the last couple, obviously, he performed. So he kind of made it over Thompson, who I oh I thought had a more consistent and productive preseason. But Edwards, you can argue, disproved my theory because Edwards really had a better preseason in the beginning as opposed to later in the year. But they ended up later in the preseason, but they ended up going with Turner and Edwards. I think that was the right decision. I because I think that Thompson to me is more consistent production, but I think that his skill set is too similar to maybe other running backs on the roster. And Turner is a completely different running back than anyone on the roster they have. And then Edwards is kind of that hybrid to me. And I think that he can fit both roles both roles well because he's kind of that short yardage back, but he can also make a little bit of an impact in the passing game. Thompson was interesting. It was an interesting cut that he, that they let him go, but maybe they knew, maybe they saw something that we didn't. But again, I like that they kept Turner and Edwards. I thought that was the right decision for them. But the other thing, and, and I've, I've stalled long enough I, and we have to jump around a little bit, but I've stalled long enough, and I have to talk about this. Robert Griffin III is on the 53-man roster, something that me and you both banged on the table and said this should not happen. And the thing that I want to note is um, Benjamin Albright, NFL reporter, insider, he reported that nine teams called the Ravens inquiring about RG3. He never said anything about if there was offers, things like that, just calling to inquire. I'm curious how those conversations went, what teams were floating around for Griffin III, if the Ravens were being too stubborn with him, or if they were looking for too much, or if the Ravens just simply weren't looking and they were just entertaining the cause but weren't going to make anything serious, because NFL Network has been reporting that Robert Griffin III is the number two quarterback and Lamar Jackson is the number three quarterback. So this is kind of a loaded question for you, is okay, so now if that's true, if he is the number two quarterback, which he shouldn't be, but if he is... You're going to keep three quarterbacks active on game day because you're not going to keep Lamar Jackson active, right? So you're going to have three quarterbacks inactive. So that kind of 
throws me for a loop is who's going to be inactive then? What is their inactives going to look like if you're keeping three active on game day? And then my other question to you is, okay, so Robert Griffin there makes it. I mean, there's so many guys that I can run through that I thought that they should have made. I mean, I would have given it to a seventh receiver. You can pick your poison of who that seventh receiver is, but I would have kept a seventh receiver over RG3. I would have honestly kept a, maybe a ninth offensive lineman over RG3. I probably would have kept maybe another another defensive lineman over RG3. I mean, there's so many different kind of guys that I probably would have taken over RG3, but the, the team chose to keep him, and that's going to be an interesting thing to watch moving forward. It's disappointing uh, from, from multiple respects. First of all, Lamar Jackson had another quality outing in the final preseason game, and I don't see what RG3 does better than him right now today. So I don't know why they would want to have RG3 as the number two quarterback, essentially stealing repetitions in practice from Lamar Jackson, who is the future of this franchise. The Ravens should be focused on doing the best they can this season, but they also need to be focused on the future. And we've talked about this so many times, the salary cap management, the best way for the Ravens to get to dig themselves out of this salary cap hole that they have carried forward for almost a decade now is to release Joe Flacco and have Lamar Jackson as a starting quarterback while he's on his rookie contract. He allows the team to save money on the offensive line because he's mobile. He's a dynamic playmaker. You build up a team with a 2000 or 2006-esque defense and then you drop a playmaker at quarterback like Lamar Jackson and maybe have a couple vertical threats, that's a team that's capable of winning the Super Bowl as the NFL is constructed. And they they need to get Lamar on the field as soon as possible, in my opinion, and and get him ready. I don't want to wait until 2020 to see Jackson on the field. Well, I agree. I mean, the Seahawks, go back to them and their Super Bowl run, you look at that model, I think they provided a great model for teams to kind of go after and kind of recreate is that they were able to add so much defensive talent and even some offensive talent as well when Russell Wilson was on his rookie contract and they gave him that next deal, that second contract, and then now they're shipping away everybody. And the Eagles kind of did it as well. I mean, their quarterback room, it's a little bit of a different situation because Nick Foles led them to the Super Bowl, et cetera, et cetera. But like you look at the talent they were able to add and they're continuing to be able to add because they have a, their starting quarterback is on his rookie deal. And I think that the Ravens need to need to figure it out and, and need to just start trusting Lamar Jackson. And this is nothing against Joe Flacco. It's simply just contracted, just cap management. Because when you have a rookie quarterback that's a starter on his rookie contract, you need to capitalize off of that, that four to five years where you can say, you know what? we need to go for it because that, that that's really what it is before you got to pay him that crazy second contract and with I mean think about it I, I don't want to scare anybody but in four to five years what is that what is that quarterback market going to look like like what is Lamar Jackson going to command what are you going to have to pay him in order to do this and we've, we've talked ad nauseum about how bad the Ravens are at cap management so I'm a little worried that they're not going to be able to maximize the most out of Lamar Jackson's rookie rookie contract. And that's the thing is like, and I said this again on that uh, fans fantasy show, is that I think athletic quarterbacks, quarterbacks with athleticism, kind of like Lamar Jackson, they seemingly make a better transition or a faster transition, I should say, to the NFL than maybe your pocket passer. I'm not saying that they're going to be better, but I'm just saying in terms of the short term, like right now, immediately those guys make more of an impact. You can look at Deshaun Watson because they're able to rely more on their legs. I'm not saying it's better because those guys seemingly adapt and, and have more success immediately in the league. Well, they're dual threat weapons. That's the thing. You know, everybody's covered on third down and they can pick up a first down with their legs. It's it's mobile quarterbacks are very hard to defend. And while Lamar is not the most accurate passer or the most effective passer, 
he brings that element that that Griffin also brings with his scrambling ability, but but it is a, a valuable asset to have. Uh, I'm still holding out hope that Griffin will be traded. I have a theory that maybe the Ravens have earmarked uh, him to be traded before Jimmy Smith returns from suspension uh, after week four, and maybe another team has an injury in the first few weeks of the season at quarterback, which gives the, the Ravens a little bit more leverage in trade negotiations, and maybe they can they can bring back even a little bit better return. I hope you're right. Reports are saying the opposite. Reports are saying that the Ravens are not planning on trading him, but I hope I hope and I agree with that idea that maybe maybe the Ravens just felt that the value wasn't there and they they're kind of rolling the dice saying maybe an injury is going to happen like you said and and they'll get better value for RG3, which could make sense and I, and I think that, that that's their best option. I I've been in the camp that you need to trade RG3, but maybe they're going to wait a little bit, hope for injuries and then and then ship him off and that could be the that could be the uh that, that, it could be a good move. I mean, it could be a move keeping him right now because, I mean, they do – I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but they do have the roster spot. I mean, I know people are going to hate on me for saying they should have kept Perryman or someone else, but they do have the cap or the flexibility because of injuries, the roster flexibility because of the injuries that happened for that extra spot. So, like, they RG3 didn't really make it over someone that – should have was a definite lock, but he did make it over some guys that I thought had a little bit more upside and more chance to make much more of an impact. And I want to talk about some of the guys that cut real quick. Brashad Perriman, they obviously cut. He has a workout with the Jets on Monday. We'll kind of tune in on that and see if that turns into a contract. And then the other thing that I want to mention, Carl Davis stays in the AFC North. Carl Davis was claimed by the Cleveland Browns. Curious to see how he fits in that kind of stacked defensive line if he make if he can carve out a small role for himself and then Andrew Donnell goes to the Lions he was claimed off of waivers so the Ravens have a couple guys that are that kind of went elsewhere a couple other guys are still free agents right now curious to see what kind of happens with that but here's my ultimate question this is my overarching question there'll be an article about this coming up shortly is that when we look back at the Brashad Perryman kind of era and his legacy with Ravens, everyone's asking, is he the biggest bust in Ravens history? Is he the worst pick? And I get that question because that's a question fans love to ask. I get it. And everyone's saying, well, Kyle Bowler, Matt Edelman, et cetera. I understand that. But the bigger question that you really should ask that, that affects the, the modern day Ravens, the, the, the today's Ravens, is did the Ravens simply just miss on this guy? Was this just a bad pick, or did they just fail to develop him? And I don't know the answer to that question. I think I have, I, I'm leaning towards one way, but time's going to tell if they miss on this guy or if they just couldn't develop him. Because if he goes somewhere else and he balls out, you better believe that, that coaching staff better be put on the hot seat even more because if you fail to develop a first-round pick with pretty much the rare size and speed combination and just need to work on his hands and his route running, I mean, that's an absolute joke and you should be fired. I think it's a combination of those two factors. The pick, he wasn't necessarily the best pick to make. The Ravens didn't develop him well. And the third factor was that he had that significant knee issue that did sap some of his speed and athleticism, which was really his calling card coming out of college. Uh, so, yeah, definitely not the best draft class, at least at the top there. So we're going to continue to monitor the Ravens' roster decisions. It's going to remain in flux, obviously, throughout the, the entire season, but especially this week leading up to the game against Buffalo. So I want to move on quickly. Just kind of, We're going to do an entire preview episode. We're probably going to get someone from the Buffalo Bills who reports for them to kind of come on and talk to us about what, what we're going to see from Buffalo. But the biggest news right now, and I, I'm kind of shocked by it, is that the Buffalo Bills have announced that Nathan Peterman will be the week one starter versus, versus the Baltimore Ravens. 
Now, hate on it all you want. Do what you will. Say what you will about it. They went with Peterman. Thoughts? Over under four interceptions. And he had five against the Chargers, right? And a half. Five and just a half. Five and a half, yes. So is that a... What are you thinking? I think we're going to blow them out. Blow them out. Double-digit win. Double-digit win. Okay, because they, they don't have A.J. McCarron anymore. They traded him to Oakland, so you have... So their only other quarterback on the roster is Josh Allen. So they chose Peterman over Allen. Maybe they're kind of waiting for their rookie to develop a little bit more, giving him extra time. And I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't like Josh Allen either. So to me, this was kind of, the, they have a terrible quarterback room in general. I mean, I, th- I think Josh Allen's going to be the worst quarterback in this entire draft class, especially out of that top five. But that's neither here nor there. So they went with Peterman. I think Peterman's better than that five interception game, sure. But I think that it's going to be hard for him to remove that label uh, of being the Peterman game against the Chargers that almost cost them a playoff spot. It didn't, but it almost did. And I think that this this bodes well for Baltimore. I mean, even if it was Josh Allen, I'd be saying the same thing. So I really don't think this is a huge takeaway in terms of that because I think Josh Allen's going to do the same, if not worse, than Peterman would have done against Baltimore's defense. So I, I still think the Ravens win. I don't know if it's going to be by double digits as you're expecting, because I think Buffalo is going to be a little bit better than you are saying they're going to be, but I think I, I still think the Ravens are going to win this game rather handedly. I'll start our predictions portion of the podcast by predicting Buffalo will have the number one pick in the 2019 NFL Draft. And who are they taking? I'm going to have to go with Nick Bosa, Ohio State defensive end. Not Ed Oliver, the freak athlete from Houston. I think Bosa is a better prospect personally. We're going to, that's the other thing about our podcast that I want to mention. Just a quick side note, programming note. We are going to be your number one draft guys. We are going to break down the tape. And once it gets closer to draft season, we're going to talk a lot and a lot about these prospects. And so just so you get to know them earlier, we love, we love doing it for you guys last year with terms of the, all the articles, things like that. And this year we're going to kick it up a notch. We're going to have the podcast and articles dropping. So it's going to be, it's going to be a good time for that. College football season's here. Uh, great first weekend. Coming up with every preview episode, we're going to preview the college football weekend as well. Whatever guys to watch, players to watch, games to watch, things like that. So we got all that coming up. Our prediction episodes. We're going to do an overall NFL predictions. Then we're going to do Ravens center predictions. So we're going to start with just our overall NFL predictions. Offensive rookie of the year. Who you got? Calvin Ridley. I think he's going to thrive opposite Julio Jones. And I think... Uh, there's a lot of good receivers. I don't think Saquon Barkley is going to quite live up to the hype. And the other two big running backs, Royce Freeman and Carryon Johnson, are going to have to work their way through a timeshare originally. So I will go with Ridley. I'm going to go with another receiver, as you know, Mr. Michael Gallup. I think Michael Gallup is going to um, evolve into the number one wide receiver in Dallas. I think his skill set matches perfectly with Dak Prescott. He's already done some great things in the preseason. Gallup is their wide receiver number one, or he will be. He's going to have a great season. I think that he's going to help the Cowboys return to the postseason. Yeah, you heard that right. We're going to get to that predictions later. But Michael Gallup, mark it down. He's making the offensive rookie of the year. Defensive rookie of the year, I'll kick it off. I'm going to go Bradley Chubb. I think with that front seven, he's going to have a lot of one-on-one matchups that he's going to exploit. He might even have double-digit sacks. He's going to be defensive rookie of the year, and I'm not sure it's even going to be close. I'm going to go with Derwin James. I think the Chargers are poised to have a big year. He's going to be creating havoc uh, as a hybrid uh, strong safety, and I think the, the exposure that the Chargers are going to garner as they have a good season, is going to prop up James. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Who, who do you got for comeback player of the year? 
This was close, but I'm going to have to go with Odell Beckham. Beats out David Johnson just by a hair. I think he just means so much to that team, and he's so explosive. I'll, I'll have to go with Beckham. Aaron Rodgers is eligible, right? Yes, he is. Because he was he was on IR, so I'm going to go with Aaron Rodgers. I think he's going to have an incredible year again. I think he's going to lead the Packers back to the postseason, and Aaron Rodgers is going to have a phenomenal year as always, and he's going to cement himself as the best quarterback in the league right now. Aaron Rodgers, That's pretty. that was pretty simple for me. Who do you got for Defensive Player of the Year? I'm going to predict co-defensive players of the year, both defensive ends. Both are going to push for close to 20 sacks, and they are Joey Bosa and Miles Garrett. I got my defensive player of the year is on the Chargers. Not Joey Bosa, though. I'm going to go Melvin Ingram. I think he's going to have another – he's going to have a very, very good year. Probably going to lead the league in sacks. I mean, with, again, with that stacked front seven, he's going to get a lot of one-on-one matchups, and he's going to exploit them. And that's the thing – and I don't want to go on another Ravens tangent, but that's the thing. It's like these these teams, they have so many good pass rushers that I wish the Ravens would develop a little bit more. I know their outside linebackers are, are looking solid. Let's just see how they do in the regular season against ones. But, again – you got to have multiple pass rushers, and, and I think the Chargers certainly have that, as we mentioned before. Offensive player of the year? Todd Gurley. Pretty easy for me. I think he pushes for maybe 2,500 total yards from scrimmage. And uh, with the, the, the Rams' defense a little bit better, I think he's going to get even a few more t- touches to close out games. Todd Gurley. I'm going to go running back as well, but I'm going to go Zeke Elliott. I think after having kind of a a down year, I guess you could say, last year, I think Cowboys offensive line is a little bit in flux right now with a couple of the injuries, but I think that he's still going to have enough running lanes to to run through, and I think he's going to have a really, really good year. Again, I'm all in on these Cowboys, but Gallup, I think Dak's going to have another bounce back year. I think Zeke's going to bounce back, and I I like this Cowboys defense. I'll get into that in a second, but I really think Zeke Elliott's going to win it this year. Uh, that offensive line concerns me. And then the MVP of the league is going to have to be Aaron Rodgers. That's why I didn't choose him for a comeback because I didn't want to duplicate him. But if you take Aaron Rodgers off the Packers, that's that's a very poor team. No, no player in the league means more to his team than Aaron Rodgers. This is a boring, this is a basic, this is a stupid pick that's probably going to piss people off, but I'm going to go Tom Brady. I think he's going to have another big year, and he's going to prove that no matter who he has at wide receiver, whether it's me and you out there or someone else, doesn't matter. He's going to have, he's going to lead the league in passing yards, touchdowns, have the least interceptions. I mean, we're, we're watching one of the greatest, we're watching the greatest quarterback of all time playing through in his 40s. I mean, it, it, he's going to win it again. Aaron Rodgers is going to be a close second. But Brady's going to win it just by a hair. Let's go to our Ravens Awards now, our Ravens-centered awards. Who you got? We'll start with Comeback Player of the Year. Who you got? Marshall Yonda. Has to be Marshall Yonda. Still one of the best players on the team. He missed. He went down in week two last year, and he is going to help fortify the offensive line. I'm going to go Tavon Young. Come back from the ACL injury. He's going to be a starter. Going to be the starting slot cornerback, nickel cornerback. He's going to be incredible. I think he's going to have a lot of interceptions this year. I mean, he was so he was so impressive in his rookie year, and I think it gets washed away, swept under the rug, and no one understands it. But with two, I, I'm going to say once Jimmy Smith comes back, two studs on the outside, Tavon Young's going to be strictly in the inside as a slot corner, which where he said he likes to be. It's where the, all, all the action is, he says. I think he's going to have a really big year. Who do you got for Offensive Player of the Year? Great choice with Young, absolutely. Offensive player of the year is going to be John Smokey Brown for me. I think he's going to be the biggest playmaker on the team, on a team that still is lacking a lot of high-quality playmakers. 
I'm actually going to go a little bit in the opposite direction. I'm going to go Willie Sneed. I think Willie Sneed's going to surprise people surprise people with how good he performs. We'll get to this in a second, but I think he's going to lead the team into receptions. Um, he's going to be Joe Flacco's reliable target, third down guy. He's going to consistently create separation from the slot. This is a proven guy that a lot of people are sleeping on because of he's a system player in, in Drew Brees and Sean Payton's system. Oh, he's coming off that injury. He was irrelevant last year. I understand all that, and that's just absolute garbage. Willie Sneed's going to ball out this year. You can, you can take that to the bank. Um, who do you got for defensive player of the year? I'm going to go with the stalwart. T-Sizzle, Terrell Suggs, I think he's going to continue to produce at a very high level, double-digit sacks. Um, he's, he's still the leader of the defense, obviously, and I think with Tim Williams emerging a little bit, that's going to give him a chance to uh, rest and save some of his, his energy and strength for December when the Ravens are really going to need him to get after the quarterback. I'm going to go with Matthew Judon. I think Judon is going to not only lead the team in sacks, but I think he's going to be top five in the NFL in terms of sacks. Came into camp in really good shape. He's shown a little bit during the preseason. I think he's going to have a big year. He's looked more developed. He has more moves in his arsenal than he might have had in years past. I see more, more of a refined pass rusher, and I'm really looking forward to seeing his development take, take shape again in, in his third year. Who do you got for rookie offensive rookie of the year? Offensive Rookie of the Year, I have to go with Big Zeus, Orlando Brown Jr. I hope he's a 16-game starter at right tackle and and proves that the Ravens found a steal in the third round. That's who I wanted to go with, but just for argument's sake, I'll go with Hayden Hurst. I think I know he's missing the first three to four weeks, could be a little bit longer, but I think when he comes back, he's going to kind of put to rest or put that notion to rest of the rookie tight ends can't make much of an impact. No, history tells me I'm wrong on this, but I think Hurst is going to have a big role in this offense once he comes back. Defensive Rookie of the Year, not not a lot to choose from, but who you got? I think Kenny Young. I, I think it has to be Kenny Young. He's hopefully he's he's okay to start Week One, and he starts all season, and he brings that speed that the Ravens desperately need to help defend the middle of the field. I can't really disagree with you, Kenny Young, for sure. Who do you got for MVP? MVP is going to be Alex Collins, the running back. I think he certainly eclipses a thousand yards on the ground, and I think he helps the Ravens maintain time of possession. And he's just looking very quick and even faster and more elusive than he was last season. My MVP is going to piss some people off, and that's fine. Lamar Jackson. I think by week 11, and we said it on this show, I think by week 11, Lamar Jackson will be the starting quarterback, and I still think the Ravens are going to miss the playoffs, but I think Lamar Jackson is going to put them in contention to be close to make the playoffs. They're not. They're going to miss it because they fell behind so early in the season. But Lamar Jackson is going to be the MVP of the year when we, when we look back on it. So now, the final segment of our predictions, we are going to quickly go rapid fire, and I'm going to let my boy go first. Playoff predictions, who's winning each division, who's winning the wild card, and then your Super Bowl matchups. Go ahead. NFC division winners. Minnesota Vikings, bonus prediction, Mike Zimmer is going to win coach of the year because the Vikings are going to have the best regular season record. Um, The Rams are going to win their division. The Saints are going to win the South. And the Eagles, despite the injuries, are going to hang on in the East. And my two wildcard teams in the NFC are the Green Bay Packers and the Atlanta Falcons. Okay, my NFC predictions will be as follows. The Dallas Cowboys will win the NFC East. The Green Bay Packers will win the NFC North. The Atlanta Falcons will win the NFC South. 
and the Los Angeles Rams will win the NFC West. Coming into wild card are going to be the San Francisco 49ers and the Saints. That's pretty bold. In the AFC, I'm going to go with the Chargers in the West, the Patriots obviously in the East, the Steelers in the North, and the Tennessee Titans in the South. My wild card teams are the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I couldn't quite give the Ravens that second wild card spot. I think Houston is going to edge them out in a tough four-way race for that final spot between the Ravens, the Texans, the Bengals, and the Chiefs. So we're, we're in complete agreement on everything except for one thing. I think that the AFC South is going to send three teams, but I think the Jaguars win the division, and the Texans and the Titans are the wildcard teams. So we're, I agree with you on that. My Super Bowl predictions... The New England Patriots, I think they're going to have a little bit of a down year for them, but I still think they're going to run through the AFC. And the NFC, I'm going with the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers is a bad, bad, bad man. And when you put him, when he's healthy, and I like that connection with Jimmy Graham, I think their defense got a little bit better. I love their draft this past year. We talked about it in our first show ever. Jair Alexander, Josh Jackson, their cornerbacks are going to be better. Their defense is going to be better. I like Mo Wilkerson. This is a team that you have to watch out for. So, again, the Green Bay Packers, I have them beating the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, and Aaron Rodgers will be the Super Bowl MVP. My Super Bowl prediction is a Los Angeles versus Los Angeles matchup. Rams over the Chargers. You could take it to the bank. Are you serious? You think the Chargers are going to make it? Chargers are the most talented team in the, in the conference. I don't disagree with that. I just think that they keep getting injured. They, injuries, like, like the Chargers are, are just like, they're like Murphy's Law. Whatever can go wrong will go wrong. You know what I mean? Like they should make the playoffs almost every year, at least past couple three, at least past three, four years because talent-wise, they just always find a way to mess it up. You know, if kickers, uh, kickers don't make field goals. I mean, what was it last year? What was it, like the first two or three games they didn't win because they're kickers? I mean, seriously, the Chargers find ways to lose games. I love their roster. I think, I think they're going to have one of the best defenses in the league. But again, I can't trust them. Well, nothing lasts forever, as they say. Everyone thought that Jacksonville was going to be in rebuilding mode forever, and uh, and they made it a deep run to the AFC Championship game and really should have made it to the Super Bowl last year. And they, they had a change of fortune, and I think the Chargers will also have a change of fortune in the 2018 season. I just want to say, I didn't say the Browns are going to make the playoffs because they're not, but I think they're going to be the seventh seed. If there was a seventh seed, they would be the seventh seed. If there was. If there was one. What's your Ravens record prediction? So, I'm going to show you the tale of two halves, I guess you should say. So, they have their bye week in week 10, correct? So, I think they're going to go 3-6 and six in the first nine games. And then I think Lamar Jackson, like I said, is going to start week 11. And I think Lamar Jackson is only going to lose two games in, that, in the final stretch of the season. So you can do the math yourselves. Lamar, they're three and six. Lamar Jackson's only gonna lose two games. They're finishing eight and eight. I concur. Eight and eight. No matter every time I take a look at it, sometimes I adjust one win here and one loss here, but it always ends up coming out at eight and eight, and I think that's I think that's where they're gonna finish. Tough schedule. Not a lot of people are giving credit. AFC West is really interesting. There's a lot of wild cards in there. I think the AFC North in general is just a huge wild card division. I mean, the Steelers are the only team that I cannot confidently say 
that they're going to win at least 10 games, but everyone else, I have no idea. I think the Browns, Browns wouldn't surprise me if they went four and 12, but they also wouldn't surprise me as I predict that they finish eight and eight, nine and seven, somewhere around there. Um, and then the Bengals, same thing. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they finished three and 13, four and 12, or if they come out and finished eight and eight, nine and seven, seven, nine, somewhere around there. So a lot of wild card there. And then the NFC South is probably the worst matchup for the Ravens. I think that's three losses regardless. And then Tampa Bay, who knows with Tampa. I think Tampa Bay is going to be bad this year, but either way, that's going to be a tougher game for them. Yeah, definitely a tough schedule, no doubt. If this Ravens team played last year's schedule, they'd probably have 10 or 11 wins. But just the way it stacks up and, and how the games are placed and, and the primetime games on the road, et cetera, 8-8 eight and eight seems, like, uh, seems like the most realistic probable outcome. We're about to say goodbye to my co-host, Vasily Larikos. Not for good, just just for today's show. He's coming. He'll be back. Whether he likes it or not, he'll be back in a couple days. So now, here's our announcement. I've held off for 46 minutes, but we are starting a new thing for Baltimore Beatdown. We are incredibly excited to announce it. I couldn't. Vast told me I had to shut up because I kept tweeting about it. I had to delete a couple tweets. Vast told me to shut up 15 times over the weekend because I was so excited to announce it. The Take It to the Bank podcast is turning into the Take It to the Bank network. What that means is we will not be the only podcast affiliated and on Take It to the Bank with Baltimore Beatdown. On our iTunes feed and our Spotify feed and everywhere else where you find us, wherever you're listening, we are starting a new podcast with two new co-hosts. So our our show is going to stay the same. The Take It to the Bank show is going to be the exact same. The one thing that will not be the same will be we are starting a podcast called The ATM. It's going to be strictly fantasy football. And we are excited to announce Jacob Luke and Zach Brook, new Baltimore Beatdown contributor, will do that. Yeah, so uh, that's our news. We're now going to turn to interviews. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet and talk with Zach Brook and Jacob Luke about their show. We're going to talk fantasy. We're going to get a little bit in that. And we're going to talk a bunch of other great stuff. So we're going to say goodbye to Mr. Lyricos. Peace. We're going to say hello to Mr. Brook and Mr. Luke. All right, as we mentioned earlier in the show, we have a special announcement the Take It to the Bank podcast is turning into the Take It to the Bank network. And I'm now joined by the two experts, eh, guys, I guess you could say, experts who are going to be running our fantasy show. So we're going to have two shows now on our feed. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, everywhere you find us, and BaltimoreBeatdown.com. We're going to have these guys. They're going to be doing one episode a week, maybe two, maybe three, depending on if Zach uh, does his chores during the week. But we're going to be calling it the ATM show. It's going to be Jacob Luke, or as I call Locke, either I think Locke's better, and new Baltimore Beatdown fantasy football contributor Zach Brook. And they're we're calling it, it the, the name's pending but the atm is that what we agreed on well yeah i think that's what you threw out and then we kind of just decided to settle on it you know i settle for things a lot in life so that's par for the course yeah so this podcast is i'm not usually going to be on it so if you don't like if you like me then don't worry about listening to it if you do like me and you respect that everything i'm doing listen to it anyway even though i'm not on it i promise I'll make appearances here and there to tell Zach that he's wrong pretty much all the time. Um, but yeah, so this episode, this is going to be a strictly fantasy football podcast. They got a, gr- a ton of great segments. And the only segment that I'm going to spoil before the first show, which should be out on Wednesday, I believe, the only segment I'm going to spoil is the No Pressure, No Diamonds segment. I, I had to ruin it because that's probably my favorite segment. You sent it to me and I was, I was in love with that segment. Yeah, man. I mean, you know. You gotta, you gotta love the creative elements that uh, Robert Griffin III brings to the team. I know you're not in love with everything else he might bring to the squad, but uh, his his captions and slogans and branding are top notch. So oh, you mean that untouchable backup quarterback that uh, John Harbaugh turned down to eight teams that asked over the past two weeks? Nine, nine, nine but yeah. Nine. Yeah, as you guys can probably know, and you'll probably figure out throughout the shows, Zach, everything Zach says has a little bit of fact in it. 
but most of it, 98% of it is, is wrong. But just there, there's always that hint of factual information in there. He gets close. I got to give him credit on that. No, no, no. Zach is usually right. Uh, we're going to start with a fantasy football show. We should probably talk about fantasy at some point instead of just making fun of each other all day, which I can do all day either way. But we'll get into this. I'm going to start with Jake on this one. Give me a couple fantasy football sleepers. I know the drafts kind of are, most people are kind of drafting this week or they already drafted. A couple guys on the waiver wire, a couple guys you've been targeting in your drafts that, that you think are going to have big years. So I only had, so I brought three and I only own one of them. The first one is Ravens fans listening are going to like this, Michael Crabtree. He's going late in a lot of drafts. I picked him up probably like near the end of mine. And just knowing Joe Flacco, he always keys in on a guy, and Crabtree kind of fits the perfect mold of that chain-moving, red zone type of threat. I feel like he's going to score a lot of touchdowns this year. The yardage might not be great, so I think he's good to pick up for your bench. Uh, Another guy is Ricky Seals-Jones, tight end for the Cardinals. I like him a lot, especially because a tight end in an offense with a young quarterback, I think you maybe pick him up late or off waivers. And when Josh Rosen gets in there, I'm not sure how great that offense is going to be. But if you need to stream a guy, I think he's a good option. And my third is Bilal Powell. I like him a lot as a receiving back in the Jets offense, uh, especially because I feel like Sam Darnold's not going to have a lot of options to go deep. And he's going to be checking it down a lot. So I think Powell's going to have a nice year, too. Mr. Zeeb. All righty. So I I picked out three of them that I really like this year. Um, The first one is Corey Clement. He's right now, I think he's slotted at the third position on the Eagles depth chart. Right now, uh, per Fantasy Pros, he's 136 amongst the average drafters, uh, average draft position. Last year in the Super Bowl, he had 100 receiving yards and a touchdown. He averaged 4.3 yards per carry, and he had 13 red zone touches that translated into six touchdowns. On the other hand, you've got Jay Ajay, who's still a question mark. He didn't score on a single red zone carry in Miami or now in Philly in, in all of his seasons so far in the NFL. That's 19 total opportunities. Ajay's knees are still a major red flag to me. And Clement is available in 72% of leagues right now on ESPN. Next up, I had James Conner, who right now slotted as the backup uh, running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. At this point right now, at 11-13 on Monday, September 1st, Evian Bell has yet to show up to the Steelers practice facility. Their season season opener is six days away, and he is absent from the team in the preseason, and there will be rust when he takes the field. They're going to run him into the ground. They know how much volume he can maintain, and they are fed up with his antics and know that this will most likely be his last season in Pittsburgh. The volume's there. He had 261 carries in 2016 and 321 carries in 2017. Connor, on the other hand, has all the tools to succeed him in the backfield. He's humble. He's a former star at Pittsburgh. He's willing to take whatever role that he needs from him on a week-to-week basis. He's also in the second year of a four-year $3.1 million rookie contract. He carries no off-field bag. Uh, cancer survivor which tells you that he's rugged and that no minor injury will keep him off the turf because he's seen the highest of highs and the lowest of lows nothing on the field will come close to what he faced in his fight with Hodgson lymphoma he's also from erie pennsylvania he played college ball pit now he's the backup running back in steelers and the sky is the limit he's available in 88 percent of espn leagues my third sleeper is keelan cole of the jacksonville jaguars Marquise Lee is now out for the year after that scary preseason injury a couple weeks ago. Allen Robinson is now in Chicago. Allen Hearns is now in Jerry World. Keelan Cole was third in receiving yards amongst the rookies in 2017. Between weeks 10 and the end of regular season, Cole emerged after Hearns went down. He had 505 yards and 25 catches in those six weeks, which translates to 84.1 yards per game and 4.16 catches per game with three touchdowns. That's 12 points in PPR over the six weeks, not even accounting for the three scores he made. He's currently available in 48% of ESPN leagues. None of these guys I would draft at the top. 
let him slip, maybe grab him in the rounds 15 or 16, or pick him up on waivers because they all will be available. Connor's an interesting selection. I, I like him in Dynasty. Wait, can we can we take a minute to like just soak that in? That was like a Bob Costas special monologue commentary type thing. So yeah. I just got yeah. I loved it. I, I loved it. I thought that was great. You had a lot of in depth research. I like the, the eerie the eerie Pennsylvania nugget with James Connor was a good one. Shout out to uh, the show Evil Genius if anyone's seen that. It's pretty uh, pretty. Can cool. you tell me where? Can you tell me where where uh, everyone else is from too? Like, do you do you have those stats or just James Connor? How deep? Yeah. How deep do we go with this? With, uh, <laughs> Where's Corey Clement from? I only I only follow guys that last name start with C. What? So, Apparently, yeah, yeah. What all these right. C's like that? You're missing like a lot of the league then. Um, <laughs> but James Conner is interesting for dynasty leagues. I don't I don't know. I never really put him on the radar in terms of just like one year leagues, kind of just regular leagues, right? Or, or you think one year leagues he has value either way? I I wouldn't draft him now. Potentially, I'd leave him as a handcuff on your roster because. I don't know what's going to happen with Bell. They know he's not going to be there next season. They know he's, they're going to run him into the ground, and he hasn't had any he hasn't had any reps with the team. And although I know he stayed in shape and he's done his offseason workouts, I I see an injury coming up, and I know that he is the first man off off the bench. A couple of years ago, what happened with D'Angelo Williams? He killed it in fantasy over those few weeks, and then Bell comes back, and honestly, Connor sort of uh, he kind of emerged in the passing game a little bit last year. And if he can uh, build on that. I think the sky's the limit. No, I actually I agree with you there. I think if uh, you're not if you pick Bell early and you're not totally sold on his longevity or ability to stay on the field, I think Connor's a great handcuff option because he didn't really have a great rookie season, but I think they they like what they've seen from him so far. And uh, yeah, like you mentioned with D'Angelo Williams, they know how to get productivity out of the running backs, no matter who it is. So I like him a lot. So give me guys. Uh, we'll start with Zach on this one. Hopefully, I, I get some more locations and things like that because I, I need it. Give me a couple guys that you are looking to avoid in drafts in any any format. So right now, I've just set on one because so many people have like uh, spotted like Alshon Jeffrey and some other people are saying like Kareem Hunt's going to have a sophomore slump. Right now, there's just one one name in mind that I think is going to either make or break your fantasy roster this year, and that's good old Kirk Cousins, the new signal caller up in Minnesota. I'm a Redskins fan. I've watched him play his entire career. I've seen almost every game he's been in. I followed him right after he got out of Michigan State while RG3 was there and all those years in between. This O-line he has now isn't close to what he had in D.C., albeit we had, they had several injuries last year to Morgan Moses, Trent Williams, Brandon Scherf, and the rest of those guys. They, they were a pretty stacked offensive line. They had, they had Dallas as offensive coordinator from a couple of years ago when they were emerging, and basically – I'm not sold on Kirk Cousins. Last year they had Case Keenum, who's more he's been like kind of like a bridge quarterback. He's never really been the guy. He excelled. Kirk Cousins cannot play against pass rushers. I don't know what it is. He looks terrified in the pocket, and I've never seen it for any other quarterback I've ever watched. Keenum, on the other hand, played terrific with the pressure elevated. There's a there's a statistic called the DVOA. It's, it's the defensive adjusted grade against the curve, which basically means how do these guys hold up? when there's, they're about to get dropped. Keenum excelled. Since 2010, only three quarterbacks have received a positive DVOA. Josh McCown did it in Chicago in 2013, and two single callers did it in 2017. Tom Brady and Case Keenum. Over the past three years, their new guy, Mr. Kirk Cousins, Mr. $86 million, has thrown 36 picks and fumbled 31 times. I don't see it coming. I, I see Diggs playing well this year. I see Thielen playing as well this year. But Dalvin keeps coming off an ACL, and I don't know how Kirk Cousins is going to do. So hopefully that investment turns out well. If not, they're in for, they're in for quite a few years. 
I like how you throw the hopefully in there, like you want him to succeed or something. I want everybody to succeed. You want everybody to succeed. Where's Kirk Cousins then from? Washington Redskins has a notable alumni. And then there's another guy they passed up. Where's Kirk Cousins from? He's, I, no, he's from Michigan. I actually knew that one. I'm pretty sure. Let me look it up. And that's another C for it. Uh, that's why I asked you. No, but that's an interesting kind of take you have about Kirk Cousins, but Really, I mean, in, in deep, deep leagues, I mean, is he really even getting drafted? I mean, in my league, he was drafted very, very late, and I didn't think he was really on the radar in terms of a top 15 quarterback in fantasy, is he? This is, this is how I've seen Kirk Cousins over the past couple of years. The Redskins haven't won a Super Bowl since before I was born, and they've never really had that good quarterback. They had, when they got RG3, he was the guy. He was stellar. He was the top-selling jersey in America. And he was amazing. But he was also coming off the injury at Baylor. And then he sustained another injury, thanks to Haloti Nada, a couple a couple of years ago. And that sort of derailed his career. Then they put Cousins up in the spotlight. And he had several good games. He was managing good games. But he had Deshaun Jackson, a healthy Jordan Reed, and a healthy Pierre Garçon. He put up really good numbers. But I'm starting to notice every week they're saying, oh, Kirk Cousins is the guy. He's the best quarterback Washington's seen in years. But then you see these weeks for subpar teams. He's putting up stellar performances. And then weeks, he's just not showing up. And it's basically like he's here and then he's not here. And, and all of a sudden, you're like, is he the guy or isn't he? Is he worth paying? Is he not? He never wanted to agree to a multi-year contract. He's just constantly taking the franchise tag, milking it. He's losing the locker room. And all of a sudden, I've just got to the point where I didn't want to see him in D.C. anymore. I wasn't too happy about Alex Smith coming there because he's a little bit older. He's a game manager, and he's always been a bridge quarterback for another guy. He was it for Colin Kaepernick in Kansas City. He was it for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, no, he was it for Alex. He was it for Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco. He was for Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, and now he's in D.C. And then they locked him up for four, I think, three or four more years, which means that they're not relying on a young guy to for a rebuilding team that's technically rebuilding. Every year they say they're contending. They're not. They're, they're looking at 9-7 and seven and potentially making the wild card. And that's right for Washington. But on, for Minnesota, they're a Super Bowl contender with a quarterback who has not established anything. It is $86 million guaranteed over the next three years. And I think that's a detriment to that organization because their defense is stellar, Diggs is stellar, Thielen is stellar, Colin, uh, Dalvin Cook is stellar, and so is uh, Kyle Rudolph. I hope he does well. I really do because he, he was great in Washington. The fans loved him even though he didn't really bring, bring us much success. But I think he's going to have a very down year, and I don't see them getting to the plateau where they achieved last year. So I think that this is a crazy concept for Ravens fans, and I understand that. But cap management and like working around the cap and like signing guys before they hit free agency is like, and not backloading every contract is it's a foreign concept to, to the Ravens and Ravens fans. But the Vikings have done a really, really good job at signing and keeping a good core group of guys together and signing them before they hit free agency. So they have a really good core. So I don't think Kirk Cousins is going to be as bad as you think he is, and I think the Vikings are going to be legit, but I, don't, I, I agree that they're not going to make too much noise in the playoffs. Let's go to Jake before, before we hear some more DVOA stats. Okay, so for Bust this year, I had two guys. The first one was uh, the guy who was probably going to be the league MVP last season before he got hurt. That's Carson Wentz. And uh, I know a lot of people are you know, going to think of him maybe not as some you know, huge high-potential guy, but I've seen him getting drafted in a couple of different leagues. I'm in uh, late even. And I'm just not even sold on having him as a starter this year. I feel like it's already kind of been confirmed that Nick Foles is going to start week one. And then when he comes back, it's, you know, I have a hard time buying in on guys with coming off of ACL injuries. I've torn my ACL. I know how tough it is. And we've seen quarterbacks come back off of that injury and struggle deep into the season, if not for the entire year. So I'm staying away from Carson Wentz at quarterback. At running back, my guy was Leonard Fournette on the Jaguars. I like Fournette a lot as a player. I know some people are down on him, but... I don't know. I don't think he was this great fantasy option 
last season. And I see him getting drafted mid-round to start for certain teams, and I don't love that because I really think Blake Bortles has potential to struggle this season. They're going to rely on Fournette when they were already over-relying on him last year. And I think the Jags' offense as a whole just has potential to fall off. So I don't love the uh, lead back there, even though he has potential to be a good player down the road. What do you think about Jarek McKinnon's injury out for the year? It, does that make Alfred Morris or Matt Breida absolute must-pickups, or, or you're still not buying into it? I'm going to throw that over to Zebo because I know he loves Breida this year. As soon as I saw that injury, I picked up Breida immediately, but I, I don't know how he's going to do, and I don't know how Morris is going to do. Morris was great the first year when he was in Washington, and he was great the second year, but they must have seen something in him that made them decide to draft Matt Jones, which I did not agree with at all. And he's bounced around for the past few years. I don't know how those two are going to manage those two carries. Garoppolo is going to do great. Garcon's going to do great. Kittle is a question mark. He's got a high potential, but he's also had a lot of injuries. I don't know how it's going to work out. And I get, I wouldn't draft Rita or Morris, but I'd wait until after week one to see how they perform to see who's the bell cow and then go from there. The way that I look at like a Shanahan running back is like the opposite of like a Patriots backfield. Like I always stay away from Patriots running backs because like, you know, it, one week it's like Rex Burkhead running for 200 yards and next week Mike Gillisley is scoring four touchdowns. It's just like so unpredictable, but you can almost count on the Shanahan's, whether it be Mike or now Kyle being able to find a guy and getting a thousand yards and six touchdowns out of him. So, you know, I, I don't hate the idea of like picking one of them up, seeing if they catch on and, you know, if not just dropping them and picking somebody else up. Okay, I just want to give this breaking news real quick. Steelers GM Kevin Colbert just put out a statement on Le'Veon Bell. He said, we are disappointed Le'Veon Bell has not signed this franchise tender and rejoined his teammates. Le'Veon Bell said this is when he was going to rejoin the team, and he's not there, so can I freak out yet? I'd be hesitant to draft him in the top two if, you're still, if you still have yet to do your fantasy draft. If he's not here, what is it, uh, kickoff is one Thursday? Well, yeah, for not for the Steelers, but yeah. Oh, for the season. Now there's no timeline, which means that if he is willing to miss regular regular season games, the I unless he has a change of heart and comes back, I think the contract's the only thing that really definitely brings him back. And if he does come back, which I assume he will, because I wouldn't miss out on what, what the, what's his franchise tag. Like, right? So he would. Ha- I think he would have to come back by like week six or maybe even week eight or something to be able to guarantee to be able to make money this year. So if he does sit out, it's probably going to be for a long time if he chooses to go that so route. So this makes James Conner a must-have in my opinion, right? I still wouldn't – yeah, but I, I still I still would be hesitant to draft him in the top in the top ten rounds. Yeah, I wouldn't go crazy, but if he's if he's available there late for you or maybe even on waivers, I'd say I, pick him up. I, really builds up Antonio Brown stock a little bit and you could bump him up right right now in my top five I'd have Gurley Bell Johnson Elliott and Brown if Bell is messing around is not at practice facility you could you could honestly flip you could honestly flip those two I'd go Gurley Zeke Johnson and then then I'd go Brown I think is is stealing it's a little bit higher I want to talk about my boys real quick. Let's talk about the Cleveland Browns real quick. Um, what are you making about this Cleveland backfield? I mean, Duke Johnson, Carlos Hyde, and Nick Chubb. I mean, are you trying to? T- are you avoiding all three, or you kind of, or which one are you prioritizing? Yeah, so that's generally like I tend to avoid like the backfields where it's clearly going to be by committee. But every year, I feel like Duke Johnson comes out of nowhere to be a really good PPR option, even with like the crapshoot at quarterback they've had over the past several years. But I think their offense is going to be better this year, so. I'd be willing to maybe like handcuff Chubb and um, Hyde and then maybe, you know, pick up Johnson as a nice flex option there. 
I think Hyde is the main option there. You saw what he did last year in San Francisco. I was surprised to see him go. I was also surprised to see Cleveland draft shove so high. I I don't know if you've been watching Hard Knocks, but I'm pretty sure Hyde's been getting all the uh, he's been getting all the most of the reps. I I really like him this year. I think he could do really well because Johnson's mostly he's going to be mostly like the third down back. They flip him out to wide out. I don't know how Chubb's going to fit into that offense, but I really like Carlos Hyde, and I think people are picking him way too low. He's super like injury prone, I think, is a concern there. So maybe, you know, pick up uh, Chubb off of waivers and, you know, hope Hyde has to miss an extended period of time and just plug Chubb in. But, yeah, I'm not really totally sure what the idea is there. Yeah, but Chubb's another guy yeah. who's injury prone as well. I mean, he had a couple injuries at Georgia and like he's not. Well, I don't know if he's injury prone. He's, he's had some freak exactly. injuries. Yeah. Listen, like, that was a guy who I who I didn't want anyone to draft because or not anyone, but I didn't want the Ravens or anyone else to draft him that I liked because I didn't I think Chubb is going to be a bust because I don't know if he can stay healthy with those knee injuries, but I want to stick with the Browns real quick. Josh Gordon what do you think of him? Because I've seen in my draft, he went in the top five, top five rounds, and I thought that was a little too high for a guy with a lot of, a lot of things up in the air. I think went on the field. He's, a t- he's obviously maybe a top fifteen receiver, but what, but there's a lot of question marks with him. Top five rounds. I hate that. I don't even think he's going to be the number one receiver this year. He, Josh Gordon has the potential to be a top ten wide receiver when he wants to, but he struggled with substance abuse. He struggled with pretty sure he struggled with a lot of mental health issues, and there's a chance you won't even see him this year. There's always a chance. He was he's he's only what 26 years old. He has amazing potential. Him and Baker Mayfield, I could see thrive on the field, but I would not draft him. He did not see him in preseason at all. He came back in week three, still didn't play, and they even said he's not starting week one. I'm not confident in him. I'd much rather have Jarvis Landry. I think Jarvis yeah. Landry may thrive. I th- I think David Njoku is going to be a bigger option than Josh Gordon in that option in that offense. Last question. I get a lot of hate for this. The New York Giants, that's a, that's an offense that I'm buying a lot into. I want as much of a part of it as I can. I like Eli Manning as a sleeper quarterback. Maybe not draft him. Maybe a waiver wire option. I mean, he's been, he's been going undrafted in a lot of leagues that I've seen. Eli Manning is a guy who I think is going to is due for a big year. Uh, Odell Beckham is obviously a must draft. Evan Ingram, a, a tight end who I think with Eli and when more weapons around him could certainly elevate. And you talked about Saquon Barkley. You're not buying too much of his hype, but... This is a, this is an offense with a new offensive line that I think could really take off this year. Mm, yeah, I just like I I don't know. I haven't loved Eli the last couple of years, even when he was like a solid fantasy option, because it just feels like he has an opportunity to throw a stinker every couple of weeks, kind of like our boy uh, Joe Flacco. But yeah, it's like it's tough for me because I like Eli. I want to see him do well. I love all the pieces they brought in on both the line, and I love Barkley. I love Odell Beckham. I think he's the best receiver in the league. Evan Engram's great, obviously, but it really does come down to whether Eli has just fallen off the cliff yet or if he's still got another year left in him. So if you love all the pieces that they brought in and you like the potential of Eli to bounce back, I don't I don't hate him as like a late option. But for me, I'm just not really buying it as a fantasy uh, player. I, I think there's a lot of question marks with that team. Their defense still is not improved. I like their secondary. I love Landon Collins. But I think there's a chance that they could – fall flat on their faces this year, miss the playoffs again. But I also think there's a chance that Saquon could excel. And then next year when you're talking about your fantasy drafts, you put him right up in that same tier as your Gurleys, your David Johnsons, your Bells, and your Zeeks. I, I'm not sure about that offense yet. Beckham's also coming back from an injury. I never trust guys that are coming off these inning injuries because you're never coming back 100%. And that, that, that's a big question mark for me. It's always a red flag. 
you better hope Saquon's going to be the guy there because Sam no, just won that starting job across town. So. It's, it, this is a we're a hot take network. That's what we pride ourselves on. Our founder actually is a is a truth teller, not a hot take guy. Yeah, a, a, a realist, a realist, a truth bomb guy, a realist, a truth bomb guy, a guy that tells you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Give me a hot take for this fantasy season. I need it. I want it. Two words, Devin. <laughs> Why? Why do you think Devin Funches is going to be so good? He's not even the number one receiver in Carolina. Who is? Tory Smith. Tory Smith. DJ Curtis, Moore. <laughs> Curtis Samuel. Curtis Christian Samuel. McCaffrey. What game are you watching? What are you talking about? <laughs> Dude, DJ, DJ Moore is their number one. They traded, they traded Kelvin Benjamin to get him more touches. I, I love Devin Funches. He was a stud at Michigan. He was up and coming when he was in, in, now in Carolina, and I think he's going to have a breakout year. I do not think he's going to be your wide receiver one. I think he's going to be their leader in targets. I think he's going to be their leader in receptions. I think he's a strong wide receiver, too. I would not draft him out of the top in the top seven, but I think he's going to prove a lot of people wrong this year, and I think he's, he's in for a breakout. Jake, what do we got? All right, so I uh, just kind of came up with this one on the fly, so I'll keep it short, but but I'm not loving David Johnson as like a super early pick this year. I think he's a great player, but I'm not crazy about the Cardinals offense. I know I gave you Seals Jones earlier, but I think that's more for a late season push if you can pick him up. I don't love their offensive line. I think Sam Bradford's going to get hurt. Josh Rosen might have some struggles. So David Johnson might have to be carrying the load there, and I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do it coming off of that injury. Like Zebo said, I have a hard time with guys coming off of uh, season-ending injuries, and I don't love what they have uh, on the offensive line there. So I'm staying away from David Johnson early. So you have a hard time with Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers don't draft him? Because you don't like guys coming off of season-ending injuries, right? Well, that's a little different. How so? Because he's not taking the contact that Johnson is, and he's in a better offense, and he's a different position. Personally, I thought it it would have been amazing if they never announced the Khalil Mack trade. And then starting week one, he came right, right out of the tunnel at Lambeau Field and looked right at Aaron Rodgers. I think that would have made for an amazing television moment. But he's... he's <laughs> I, what? what? Yeah. How amazing would that have been? I don't think that would be an amazing thing. I think it would be like, what's going on? I'm loving the Bears defense this year. I think they have one of the best linebackers. Yeah, let's get your take on the Bears defense real quick. Go ahead. They're, they're, not, they're not what they were in the 80s, but they're, they're going to be something special. Kind of reminds me a little bit of a... 49ers a few years ago when Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman were leading them. I think they're going to be really good. Eddie Jackson. Wow. I I was worried that when we did this, I was worried when we did this intro that we wouldn't get the full effect of what this show is going to be like, but this is, this is done it. This is, this is it because I don't think it's going to get better than that moment of you saying, Oh, well, what happens if you just ran out on the field and no one knew about it? What, what are you, what what is going on over there at Madison studios? (laughs) Okay, uh, thanks for coming out, Zebo, Zeb, whatever we're calling you. Jake, Luke, Locke, whatever your name is, thank you so much for coming on, guys. We do appreciate it. Their first episode will be out Wednesday, correct? Either Wednesday or Thursday. I don't, we'll figure it out. Wednesday, Thursday, check for it. It's going to be the same spot you find our articles. We're going to post it on Baltimore Beatdown. They're going to give you all the fantasy advice, and when they're wrong, I'm going to come back on and tell them about it. So we got a lot to look forward to this fantasy season. I'll see you, I'll see you Monday morning, man. Wow. Yeah, can't wait can't wait for the truth bombs. The real Logan Levy, by the way. But uh no, uh Zach is also gonna be writing articles, what like three or four a week about fantasy football. He's gonna tell you who to start, who to sit, waiver wire, things like that. So definitely check us out on BaltimoreBeatdown.com. Thanks, guys. Cool. Thanks, bud. All right, so we had our big announcement. That's our that's our ATM fantasy football show. We have our show, our preview show for the Ravens versus the Bills will be out. 
on Thursday, maybe Friday. Check in for that. We thank you so much. You hear the music. We're out. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? <laughs> and why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. <laughs> We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.